welcome to the ITP Business Brief, your source of business news and insight on the Middle East's economic heartbeat. I'm your host, Carla Certain, Group Editor of the B2B Division at ITP Media Group. Here are my picks of the week. First of all, there's the story that no one can avoid that everyone is talking about, the Nord Stream pipeline leak. It's an environmental disaster with ramifications that span across supply and demand to geopolitics to obviously environmental issues. So I have Faiza Rizvi-Rahman with me here in the studio. She's the editor of Oil and Gas Middle East. Faiza, what's the real impact here? Hey, Carla, thank you for having me on your podcast today. Well, there's a lot of discussion going on around the Nord Stream 1 and 2 gas pipeline leak. Um, the underwater pipelines that run from Russia to Germany were not really pumping gas at the time of the leaks. However, both lines were still pressurized. So now, despite the fact that neither one of them were flowing gas, the gas prices rose to about 6% on September 27th. Um, but now let's first take a look at the climate impact angle, right? Now, Bloomberg went on to call it a climate disaster. And scientists are speculating that this could be one of the worst pipeline leaks ever. And Germany has recently estimated that about 300,000 metric tons of methane, which is one of the most powerful greenhouse gases, has entered the atmosphere as a result of these releases. Now, to put things into context, the amount of gas that would roughly be around the same as the annual emissions from about 5.48 million U.S. cars over 20 year period. Now, just imagine that impact to the climate, right? Um, there are also a number of other key uncertainties right now, like how much gas was in the pipelines at the time, what temperature, what pressure was it being held at, and just how big the size of the rupture was. So definitely a lot of speculation around climate impact. Uh, now let's talk about who did it which is a bit controversial. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, There's a lot of finger pointing going on, a lot of denials as well. Um, European leaders are convinced that the leaks were an act of sabotage by Russia and that they were underwater explosions that have been registered on the richer scale. Um, And really, Carla, think about it. You would need some pretty powerful explosives, right, to rip apart the concrete-coated steel pipelines. Um, So Russian spokesmen have said that these accusations, and I'd like to quote, are predictable, stupid, and absurd. And why would Russia attack its own pipelines is what they're saying. Uh, But analysts are also saying that this is Russia's clearest signal um, that Europe will have to survive this winter without any significant Russian gas flows. Now, Nord Stream operators said it was um, impossible to predict when operations will resume. So, um, But also, Carla, I'd like to point out something. This is where it gets really interesting. Now, these underwater explosions took place just outside the territorial waters of Denmark. So whoever did this was very careful that these explosions were outside the territory of a NATO member. So the owners of the pipelines, which are companies in Russia and Switzerland, are also not headquartered in NATO territories. So both the location of the explosion and the property damaged would not be under NATO rules. So legally, Mm -hmm. that does not justify any kind of uh, Western military response. So that's very interesting. That is very Um, interesting. Yeah, so definitely a lot of speculation around the pipeline leak. And it'll be interesting to see over the coming days and even weeks, you know, what steps European leaders will take to ensure that energy security will be in place for the looming winter energy shortages. Yeah, I mean, even before the pipeline leak, you know, Europe was scrambling to... Absolutely. Secure energy supply. I mean, in the wake of the Russian-Ukrainian war, just making sure that people can stay warm this winter. Um, But looking back at sort of the blame game that's going on, I mean, we have also seen reports from Moscow, you know, saying that we should be looking at 
Biden yes, and that potentially US the U.S. was involved. So yes. really, it's a lot of mudslinging right now. There's nothing right. super clear. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely interesting, the point you made about NATO territory. Um, is there any indication, I guess, from analysts that this might have been just an accident, not really an act of sabotage, or is everyone sort of skewing that direction? Oh, well, honestly, there's still a lot of speculation going around, like I said. Uh, but then again, this all ties back to the point where scientists are saying, you know, you would need some very powerful explosives to actually carry this act underwater and for the pipelines to be damaged to this extent that they're releasing so much gas. Um, so definitely there's going to be a lot of interesting developments over the coming days, and we'll have uh, we'll definitely talk about those. But at this point, um, European leaders are convinced that this was an act from mm-hmm. Russia. <laughs> so definitely keep an eye on oilandgasmiddleeast.com yes, for updates because sure. I'm sure you'll be following quite closely. Yes. Now, in other yeah. news, Oman Rail and Etihad Rail have signed an agreement to form a $3 billion joint venture company, Oman Etihad Rail Company, which will design, develop, and operate a railway linking Sohar port in Oman to the UAE National Network. Um, Julian Tolentino, who's a reporter at Construction Week, worked on the story. Julian, what can you tell us? First of all, thank you, Carla, for having me here today. So, Oman Etihad Rail, it was big news yesterday. It will continue to be big news in the next couple of months and years. Um, it was a joint venture. Um, it was it's a joint venture company with a total investment of, as you've said, three billion U.S. dollars. Um, it will connect Sohar Port in Oman to primarily Abu Dhabi and maybe Al Ain in the future. It is a 303-kilometer railway. So the one thing that is so important about this is it will reduce travel time um, to around one hour and 40 minutes from Oman to to uh, Abu Dhabi and, and 47 minutes to from Oman to Al Ain. And so there are many advantages to this new railway, um, five main ones. The first one, other than reduced travel time, is boosting the growth of the national economy. This is really important because it will offer investment opportunities to you know, for trade and logistic companies, it will also empower manufacturing and, and, and industrial activities to expand beyond borders. So it really means a lot for, for the construction sector as well, because not only will it improve almost the efficiencies of supply chain, this also means that it will also be a part of the strategic roadmap to sort of reduce and achieve net, net zero goals as well. So as we all know, trains are emit less CO2 than commercial flights. So th- this means, you know, unlocking opportunities for by strengthening commercial exchanges and social cohesion in the country. So, yes, this is a big news and we will definitely keep reporting about this in, in the updates in Construction Week online. And of course, um, give updates on what will happen and what this means for the economy. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one. And we've seen ambitions for a GCC railway for more than a decade, I think since 2008, just about linking all GCC countries. So not just Oman and the UAE, but they've been frequently just delayed. Um, So, I mean, I guess this is maybe sparking the fire once again that, you know, we could link the countries together and that would promote further, you know, economic activity and cooperation. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, the GCC railway uh, project is would have a cost of as high as $240 billion. And it wouldn't just connect people, so it's not just for, you know, commercial or public transport, but it's also connecting chemical and industrial hubs. So from a downstream perspective or from an oil and gas perspective, helping to expedite those processes, and as you've said, Julian, Mm -hmm. um, to help us reach net zero goals. Um, So I think there's a lot to, to, to watch out for on this front in particular. 
Now, another news on the entertainment side, Netflix is releasing New Saudi Voices, which is a curated collection of 11 uh, short movies by Saudi content creators, um, which sort of features emerging Saudi talent. Uh, obviously, this is interesting for Saudi Arabia. It only lifted its cinema ban in 2016, yes. I believe. Right. So um, I think many people would expect to see a resurgence in that sort of culture and talent side. Uh, now, Julian, for the inaugural issue of Construction Week Saudi, you did uh, write a feature on uh, leisure and entertainment in Saudi Arabia and how that is sort of growing and evolving uh, in this diversified Saudi Arabian economy. Uh, can you tell us what were the key findings? So as you mentioned, the Sinib ban, after a 35-year hiatus, um, it has finally been lifted in 2016. And this was, I think, only a few years after the announcement of Vision 2030, which is a big thing for Saudi Arabia moving forward, achieving some, a lot of goals and setting groundwork for what's, you know, what we should expect for the kingdom. Um, so during in my feature in the new Saudi, Saudi magazine, I actually f looked into how the construction sector ties in with leisure and entertainment in, in the kingdom. So... Actually, as of Q2 of this year, 21 new licenses were issued by the Art, Entertainment, and Recreational Center. So it is a big thing that's going on with, especially because of all of these giga projects and mega projects that are being launched in the kingdom. Um, Red Sea, Neom, Al-Ula, these particular projects are sort of almost giving a boost of expansion to the Legion entertainment industry. And I have talked to many experts in the industry as well about contractors looking into this particular sector because leisure entertainment in Saudi Arabia has been there for quite a while. It, it's not something that just sprouted up out of nowhere. It was there more so for uh, religious tourism. Um, millions of people have been to Saudi Arabia for, for religious pilgrimages. But now I think the kingdom after Vision 2030 is focusing more on attracting people into, into, into the country. I think something interesting that I noticed in that article, because I did have a chance to read it, was um, it's not that Saudi Arabia is starting to have leisure and entertainment. It's redefining what leisure exactly. and entertainment means for the kingdom and trying to attract more foreigners to you know, exactly. come and enjoy some time in the kingdom. Yeah, and because also it will also benefit the real estate because right now there are a lot of developments and mixed-use developments in, in Saudi Arabia that are happening, Roshan, is, uh, Sedra communities. All of these all of these tie into attracting people. How do you attract people to come into these real estate developments? And I think one incentive for people is lesion entertainment. A lot of, a lot of um, families want, would want to move into a, a community it has that as a central because work-life balance is also very important. So also um, other cultural integrations in the leisure and entertainment sector also celebrates culture and heritage, which is something the kingdom is looking into, especially with uh, developments like Al-Ula, yes. which focuses so much on heritage. And of course, with Salmani architecture becoming the central thing of, of design in, in the kingdom. So, and also to add to that, in, in the construction sector, a lot of contractors are coming into the kingdom to, as, as a niche um, to provide niche skills and talent to these sort of projects. Um, and I've spoken to, to ACOM and Kundal as well and experts from, from those companies that say that because of these leisure and entertainment projects, a lot of contractors are going to benefit the, the construction sector as a whole and will, you know, will sort of um, tie in with the whole Vision 2030 goal at the end of it. So, yeah, that's about it about the Legion Entertainment. 
Okay, well, thank you both for joining me today. That's all for this week's news, but do check out ITP.net's first episode of its podcast, Explained. if you don't know what the metaverse is and you're too afraid to ask. Uh, also, please listen to CW Saudi's What's New KSA for the latest KSA construction news, both in English and Arabic. That comes out on Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Um, and do also tune in to The Crude Story, which is a podcast by Oil and Gas Middle East and Refining and Petrochemicals Middle East, looking at the biggest uh, market movements and news and insight from the oil and gas sector. Uh, And looking ahead to next week, watch out for Oil and Gas Middle East's top 25 EPC contractors list for a thorough guide to the industry and the titans who are changing engineering as we know it. Join us again next week for more Middle East insight and subscribe to my LinkedIn newsletter for regular updates right to your feed.